Okay, hi, I'm Kara Orbell. I'm a community organizer at the Norman Miller Center, and I'm also the host of Going Places at SNC Radio. And I am very excited for my guest today. Her name is Christina Shelton, and she's running for the 90th Assembly District of Wisconsin. Thanks for being on this webinar, Christina. Thanks for having me, Kara. I'm really excited about this. Me too. I think it's going to be a great conversation and we're going to have, I'm going to ask a ton of questions and then we're going to have some other Norman Miller staff ask a bunch of questions as well. Sounds so, great. Yeah, let's get started. So I want to start with kind of your journey into politics. So let's talk about your background and what prompted you to get into politics. Yeah, so I'll start by saying that I have no background in politics at all. Um, you know, you hear a lot of candidates will say, well, I staffed here and I studied poli sci and so forth. I actually came from a family um, in Pittsburgh that never talked about politics. My parents were 20 years old, actually, when they had me. I lived at college with them. Um, they got married very young. They worked multiple jobs. Um, and my parents are each one of 10. So my dad is the oldest of 10 and my mom is number six of 10. And so even though we didn't talk about politics, um, we did see how families rely on each other to be successful, right, to thrive. The only way my parents were able to survive those early years when my brothers were little was because we pulled our resources and we worked together. Um, and we also had aunts and uncles and cousins in and out of the house always, right? Everybody from different political spectrums, different religious spectrums, most of us were Catholic, but you know, sort of all over the place. So from a really early age, I just was comfortable with having a lot of conversations with people that I disagreed with, hearing a lot of different ideas and approaches to the world. So fast forward, I end up being a teacher. I come out of college. I was a health and physical education teacher, teaching on the higher education level. I was sort of moving around the country. Um, my husband is an educator as well. And you know, just started to see when I was in these positions of how decisions were made or not made and how those decisions that people were making were impacting me and my community and sort of in my place of employment. So fast forward. So my family moved here to Green Bay about seven years ago. Um, we, we moved here. My husband teaches at UWGB. And when we moved here, I was working for a national nonprofit based out of Chicago, but I was managing grants and working with urban school districts from all over the country, which was really exciting on wellness policy and creating healthy communities where people mobilize to take actions around physical activity and nutrition. And um, I started to get involved with some local community organizations. So I was, um, I was working with uh, Women's March Wisconsin. I started doing some community organizing with Black Lives United just getting involved here and saying, okay, what can I start to do to really get connected with the people in Green Bay and to support the, the, the values that I hold to be dear. And as I was getting involved in all of that, um, in August of 2018, there was an opening on the Green Bay School Board and you had to write a letter to get, you know, be considered for this appointment. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to write a letter. I'll just see if I get an interview, great. If I, if I don't, that's fine. I just want the experience of, you know, being considered for this position because I felt like the board needed um, a new voice. And I knew that, you know, we needed more voices of color and more diverse voices, just, you know, LGBTQ, but no one was else was able to step up. So I wanted to sort of be that representative. And I got, and I was selected and I, and I won that appointment, which was um, insane. I remember I was in my car and the president of the school board called me and she said, we picked you. And I like lost it, you know, because again, it was never something that I thought would be possible for me. So the journey for me has been, um, it has been not, you know, the standard journey for a lot of politicians, but I think that served me really well because um, I don't see myself as being a top top-down leader. I see myself as being a community member who gets to, you know, be in a position of power and I'm trying to bring as many people with me as I can. That's great. I feel like that's really important nowadays as well because I feel like definitely people need a voice and you kind of have that experience within the community where you know and you have the perspectives that some other members of politics don't. So I think that's very powerful. And I'm glad you're from, you're from a very similar background as me where you didn't really talk about politics in the household, but that's, yeah, that's really powerful how you said that. 
Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think that's the role of leaders, right? That's when doors open for us, right? And, and, and me being a white woman, middle-class educated more, there's different doors opening, right? For me than, you know, trans folks or indigenous folks or, um, you know, our, our black community members. So I think it's our job when we can step into those spaces to open up as many doors behind us and to bring people with us. Oh, my phone is ringing. <laughs> That's weird. Sorry about that. Hold on one second, Kara. <laughs> my Google voice number, it was going right to the computer. Um, so, you know, it's been exciting for me to think about how I can um, connect with other people because I say all the time, I, I, I don't know everything, right? I can't know every perspective. I can't know every issue. But what I can do is connect with people in the community to find out from them what you know, what the issues are and then work with them when I'm at those decision-making tables. Yeah, and I think your background with nonprofits has really helped you listen and have a perspective. Obviously, you can't walk a mile in a person's shoe, but you at least have this passion of learning about these people who may be marginalized or may not have a voice in politics and you want to be that voice. You want to make decisions that would impact them and help them. So I think that's very important. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about your time. You worked at the YWCA, right? Yeah. So you were writing grants. Let's talk about your time there. What did you enjoy most about that position? How did that kind of, I don't know, start? I don't want to say start, but how did that kind yeah. of start? Yeah. Yeah, so such an interesting time for me. So I think like a lot of people after the 2016 presidential election, it really was a life shifting moment for me, right? Um, I had been a voter and I had been engaged, but I really saw what was happening. And I felt like there was an opportune time for a lot of people to get more involved and to raise and amplify our voices. So at this nonprofit that I was working at in Chicago, um, you know, I started to pay more attention to who was on the staff and, you know, we were working with urban school districts all over the country, but we were 25 generally white people with masters in public health, you know, and, and, and looking at each other and saying, you know, how come we don't, we're having a hard time coming up with creative ideas, right? You know, it's sort of, and as I started looking around and thinking about it, I was really interested in diversity, equity, and inclusion from an organizational standpoint. Um, how does the representation in our staff sort of show outward as in our work? How does it present in the outward facing of our work? And so I actually started um, at that organization. I went to the CEO and I went to him and I said, I'm really concerned because the world is changing and we're not changing with it. And I said, and, and here are the ways that this is negatively impacting our organization, right? So in terms of uh, staffing, retention, and, you know, recruitment, right? There's an HR perspective. There's a, there's a creativity perspective. And I showed him, I also said the bottom line is we're, we're losing out when we don't have a, representa a, a greater representation at the table. So he said, great, start this diversity, equity, inclusion team. Uh, and I pulled together a team. We started talking about anti-racism. We started talking about really doing the internal work of our own oppression and our own racism and our own, just like, you know, but it's not just with, you know, um, with, with color, right, with, you know, within the black community, but really looking across the broad spectrum of disability rights, LGBTQ rights, right? And I loved it. You know, I really started to lead those conversations. And um, when the opportunity opened up at the YWCA to be the program director, I mean, it was like a dream job. You know, the YWCA, I mean, think about this. The YWCA's mission is eliminating racism and empowering women, right? They have been around for a hundred years. So you're talking about the intersectionality of feminism and racism, yeah. right? Like that's your job, you know, like, you know, yeah. go. And <laughs> it, 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 I just, I felt you know, as a, as a white woman, as an educator to work next to Renita Robinson, who is, you know, a, a black woman, a black leader in our community, being able to work alongside her and to be in spaces talking about, you know, the book White Like Me, right? Talking about um, with educators, we actually had a, a book series around anti, active anti-racist teaching practices where we talked with teachers around how does racism show up in your classroom? How does that show up in teaching practices? So um, it was a really cool way for me to take 
something that I found that I loved near and dear, and I'd been doing work with Black Lives United, and start to put that into direct programming. So yeah, it was, it's such a cool job. And you know, I mean, who doesn't get excited about upholding that mission? I, I, I can't imagine. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that quote, empowered women, empower women on your website, I think when I was researching you and I was like, oh my God, like I wanted to put that shirt. I wanted to put that on a t-shirt. Like I was so yeah. excited when I saw that. No, and, it, and it's true, right? I mean, to, to yeah. be empowered, it's what I was saying to you earlier about opening up doors. You know, power is not, it's not pie. There's not an endless amount of power. And I think within women and in with marginalized groups and oppressed groups, because we've been taught to fight amongst ourselves for the crumbs that essentially get thrown down to us, right? We, we fight for those, for those rights. And instead of saying, you know, there's plenty to go around. I need all the strong women. I need all the strong people next to me because that's how we're going to change the world. Definitely. Yeah, I completely agree. Wow. That was powerful. I need a minute. <laughs> like, we can make t-shirts, Kara. Yeah, definitely. I would love that. Yeah. And Actually, it's the 100th year of the women's right to vote. So that was a big program at Norman Miller Center because we're trying to talk about how there are still barriers to voting, but how women have improved and how many rights we have now. I mean, like, I don't know. I'm, I think we have a lot of places to go, but I think where we are now is like worlds away. So that was, I think that's really good. Yeah, that's great. Um, so let's talk more about your role on the school board because so you worked at this nonprofit, you worked at the nonprofit that for empowering women, getting, helping get rid of, I don't know how to say it, get rid of racism, racism. eliminating racism. Yes. Yeah. And now you work on the school board. Mm -hmm. So how has the, everything you've learned then kind of shifted into your work on the school board? Yeah. You know, when I showed up on the board, I really had some very specific goals. I really was interested in the inequities um, that I knew some of our, many of our families of color um, and many of our marginalized community members were facing. I knew that those hardships also cross cut into our white community members, right? Things like transportation and, and food insecurity, um, access to, you know, um, you know, uh, um, advanced classes and coursework, right? There were those, those, the data showed us that there were gaps, um, opportunity gaps, but also ways that we could really directly start to make an impact in our community. Um, and, you know, I'll say too, the other thing that's so exciting about Green Bay is, and I say this all the time, it's big enough that there's a lot going on, but it's small enough that you can actually make a difference, right? Like, if you're not talking about a Chicago or a Philly or even a Milwaukee, right? You can really get the lay of the land with the stakeholders and the key players fairly quickly. So, you know, when I showed up on the board, a lot of my work initially was around really bringing up issues of equity, um, identifying where we could do better, really trying to prioritize health and wellness, because that's my background. So right away, I got to work working on some policy around recess, because I wanted to ensure that students could have um, equal amounts of recess and there would be sort of a set standard. Um, for all elementary, even middle and high school. We even changed some language to encourage physical activity for, for high schoolers, right? Because everybody is, benefits when they're physically active. So also started working on like the school meal program, ensuring, and that's, I have a background in that as well, sort of looking at the different modes of, of meal delivery, such as like breakfast in the classroom, um, grab and go, you know, like, you know, carts or even like food trucks. So really trying to think in a more innovative, forward-thinking um, way of some of our practices. So it's been really exciting. Um, you know, it is incredibly difficult work. And I, it's so funny because I was, I was talking to um, Mayor Ginrich. He and I, our campaigns when I was running for school board were at the same time as, with his mayoral campaign. And I, he and I were having this very candid conversation. And I said, you know, wow, you know, people really are passionate about I said, the school district, I said, I feel like I'm, people are more, you know, interested in that sometimes in the mayoral race. And he said, well, it's people's kids. Yeah. You know, that's, that's their most precious thing in their life is their kids. Of course, that's what they care about most. And I think that's what is hard is we're seven people who have to make decisions for the whole of the district for 21,000 kids, for 3,000, you know, teachers. And anytime you're making decisions for an entire group, it's 
it's not always going to be fair and it's not always going to be great. And, you know, some of the decisions that we're having to make now with COVID um, are, are incredibly difficult, but I think it shows that we need leaders who will do the hard work because it is, it's incredibly difficult, but it's incredibly rewarding too. Yeah. So when you're making these hard decisions, how do you get different perspectives? How do you kind of calculate what the right decision is? Like, I never thought of that. Yeah. I mean, that is a hard, that's definitely a hard thing. I mean, I use a lot of social media. I rely on Facebook. It really helps me to connect, especially with parents. A lot of parents use Facebook now for like communication. So when I was running my school board campaign, for example, I did a monthly Facebook live series called couch conversations. So I would have on people. Um, it was on my blue couch, but you could still have people in your home. And, um, you know, my guests were people who were doing really incredible work in the community, but who weren't, you didn't typically hear or see from, or you hear from or see, right? So um, I always have been looking for opportunities to elevate the great work and the skill sets and the, and the perspectives that currently exist mm-hmm. and to bring them in. So that's always been a way that I approach it. But I think it's, it's a lot of relationship building, right? That's, that's really what politics is. It was said once, and I love this line, that relationships are the soil through which new politics will grow, right? So think about that. Think about like when you know someone, and I don't mean a, um, you know, a, a, a relationship that's sort of, you know, um, sort of, a, you know, it's sort of basic. It's sort of, you know, you, you don't really get into the weeds with them. I'm talking about like radical, difficult relationships where you, you push on each other. And, um, you know, to me, every person that I meet has something to give and to tap into. And so I just, I try to, every conversation I'm listening, what are they talking about? What do they care about? What can I ask to learn more and how can I get them involved? Yeah, that's really good. How have you been almost actively listening during your campaign during a pandemic? Because I feel like that poses a difficult difficulty for you. <laughs> it, really, it is, you know, we're doing a lot of, um, so we're not knocking doors, um, which I love to knock doors because I love to just talk with people, right? I'm, a, I'm an extrovert, so it works for me. So, but we've been doing a lot of phone calls. I'm on the phone almost every day for three or four hours, just dialing and talking to people, um, doing a lot of texts for the, for the primary in August. I think we sent 25,000 texts um, to voters. Um, yeah. Right. Wow. Uh, not, which not on my phone, by the way, like through a program called hustle, um, which is, which is really great. But you know, what I really want to do is to remind people that we can have hard conversations where we disagree, but that we don't have to scream at each other, that we are in this together. i just had a conversation today with a gentleman who's a Republican and I called him and I, he said, I said, hi, I'm a Democrat. I'm running the 90th. He said, you know, you don't have to waste your time on me. I'm, I'm a Republican. And I said, you know, sir, if you're busy, I will certainly let you go. I said, but you're in the 90th and, you know, I'd like to talk with you. What do you care about? He and I ended up staying on the phone for 45 minutes today. And it was a difficult conversation. I mean, I was over here and he was over here, but we found some really great places that we agreed. And I said to him at the end, I said, you know, if we don't talk to one another, how can we work together? Right. I may think that, you know, his view, I thought his, you know, viewpoint on black lives matter was completely different on where I stand, but at the core of it, we both want safe, healthy, happy communities. Right. So how do we, how do we tap into that? And that's something I've really been trying to lean into and build as a muscle is how do I stand my ground and my core beliefs, but not let that be a barrier to hearing what other people are saying? And that's hard, right? I mean, that's a hard thing to do. Yeah, definitely. I can't imagine how many difficult conversations you've had and how many uncomfortable, almost situations you've had to be in. But I think what I picked up on, even from this conversation, is that you're very adaptable. So you'll take a situation and you'll try to grow from it, no matter what the situation is. Yeah. But I think it gets back to kind of what I was saying about having a big family, right? Like when you're, when you're around a lot of people, you, you have no other way to, you have to, you know, the only way you can thrive and succeed in life is by adapting and adjusting and shifting. And I think that's honestly 
served me very well in the role that I am in now because, you know, I have, you know, an uncle who says, you know, very problematic things who I love dearly and I can recognize that I disagree with his beliefs and I love him. Two opposing things can be true at the same time. And I think we have to be able to remember that. Yeah, that's great. So let's talk a little bit more about the Green Bay community. What are some of the major issues that pose a problem right now? Yeah, well, I mean, with COVID, right, it feels like everything is, everything is a serious (laughs) issue, right? Um, You know, I think there's a couple key things that are really at the top of people's minds. One is the response to COVID, right? I mean, it's very polarized right now around the state. Um, People are um, very much sort of um, dug into their beliefs. um, And I think that that's really, we're seeing cases rise because there's sort of this, like, who's in charge? What, where are we headed? What are we going to do about this moving into the winter months? So I think that's the first thing. People are frustrated. Um, When I talk to people on the phones or on text, they may not be able to verbalize the specifics of why they're frustrated, but they're generally recognizing that the state and that the, you know, local leaders, government is not working for them, right? It's, it's ineffectual. It's slow. It's, it's basically working. People are expected to step up again and again and again, because our elected leaders aren't right. Stepping up to the challenge. So I think the first thing for me that I've been talking to is really trying to, one, inspire people that the current reality doesn't have to be our reality. Like, we don't have to live in this defeatist, you know, helplessness space forever. If the government is of the people and elected by the people, then we of the people can actually do things differently, right? Like, we can reimagine a different system. But that's really hard. I mean, that's like a long-term, right? Like, government can actually do things, right? I think on the ground level, what, you know, a couple key really specific things, people are really worried about their economic security, right? Um, not having a job with COVID or their hours being cut back significantly or not receiving their unemployment benefits. Um, how are they going to pay their rent? That's a big thing right now. How are they paying their mortgage evictions? Um, I, I anticipate we're going to start to see evictions. You know, there is a moratorium at the federal level on evictions, but that doesn't Um, There's not a moratorium on uh, payments, like rental payments. So, you know, um, small businesses are really suffering right now. A lot of them are very worried about how they're going to make it through the winter. You know, I saw some statistic that that said 50 to 70% of small businesses may not survive um, through the winter months, you know, and that's really the fabric of our community. Um, Housing is a really critical issue as well. Um, People, there's not enough housing. Um, there's also people who can't secure housing because they have evictions on their records or domestic abuse, um, you know, um, tickets and so forth. Um, other than that, public education, huge, right? Healthcare, really important. And then I'd say the last one, which I feel like everything is important, um, is climate change and, and, and conservation and clean water. Um, I'm, I think one of the first candidates up in the Northeast region um, of Wisconsin that is actively talking about climate change. I've named it, it's real, the issue, it's caused by humans, we can do something about it, um, and it's gonna really take unprecedented um, action to mitigate it, but we can do it. And I, and I really would like to see at the state level us do like a, a state level green jobs guarantee or a green new deal, because we have a crumbling infrastructure, right? We have roads and bridges, and we have houses to build. And if we can put people to work and, and build that in a green, you know, in a green way, it will it sort of, you know, benefits on both sides. That's great. Yeah, I saw that. What is the biggest, I don't know if we have one right now, but what is the biggest environmental challenge to the Green Bay community right now? I'm, water is, is really big. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing um, PFOS contamination up in Marinette with, with the Johnson controls. You know, that's, that's been, you know, the, the cleanup there has been consistent, but you know, as you know, water knows no boundaries or state lines or district lines. It comes right down to Green Bay. Um, you know, the project, the, the Fox River cleanup was a, a success. The paper companies paid for, you know, paid for that cleanup. But as I've said, if we can have great policy that doesn't create the pollution in the first place, then we don't have to clean it up. But water is a human right. Everyone should have access to clean water. Um, but, you know, I think we're seeing, you know, farm runoff, um, contamination of soil, 
Um, and, you know, again, I think flooding too, we're seeing that in, in Green Bay on the east side, there's been a lot of homes in my neighborhood that have been flooded. And, you know, this is, this climate change is directly impacting people's lives today. It's happening right now. And um, again, I, you know, I think it's important to not be paralyzed by fear that, you know, we can get out in front of it. Yeah. I think that's a common theme in politics even because when people watch the news, there's so many scary things happening, especially right now. And it's very common for people to be paralyzed in fear about kind of the daunting things that are happening in our society at the moment. Yeah. And I think too that that creates that sense of helplessness, right? And we're kind of trained in that, right? We kind of live in this paralysis of fight or flight. We're just angry. And I mean, I get there too, you know, you're going through Twitter. I mean, that's like the worst thing to do, right? At night when you're in bed, you're going, you're going, going why can't I sleep? Well, you just saw 50,000 verbal things. Um, so what I really try to do is encourage people to be as local in their politics and live their politics as much as possible and find one aspect of it that really ignites you. You know, um, you can't do everything and nor can we expect you to, but we can get people in the right spots and we can get people organized, then you can find an area of political um, action that suits your skill set and what you're interested in. And so I think that's what it really we're asking people is find something that really ignites you and gets you out of bed every day put that to good use to make the world a better place and then trust that other people are working on the other aspects. Because again, you can't, if you spin your wheels, you'll end up doing nothing. Yeah. So what gets you out of bed every day? What gets me out of bed every day? Honestly, I was talking to my girlfriend about this couple, um, couple months ago and we were talking about the Green Bay community waking up every day, putting their pants on, putting their shoes on and going to work. Like, what do those people do every day? You know, they're going to the schools, they're going to higher education, they're opening up their businesses, they're opening up the mills and the factories, they're, you know, picking up garbage, they're whatever it is, right? They're opening up the grocery stores, they're healthcare workers at the hospitals. Those, the people in this community honestly inspire me like so much. I get like so choked up when I think about it yeah. because it's, it, because it's so cool, right? Every single day, people make this community happen. They, they, they put it to work. And, you know, to me, when you see the, the work ethic and the belief that people have every day to, like, do what's right and to work for their families, I think it reminds you that, you know, we can keep going. And to me, that's, I, I love it. I love being out in the community in the morning and seeing everybody get out there and move around. Less so to now because of COVID, but, <laughs> right, I mean. Zoom calls. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think the Green Bay community is so unique in that fact. They're so big on just person-to-person -person communication. I feel like people care about other people within the community. It's a very unique place from what I've noticed just going to school here. It really is. It's so funny, right? I mean, I think like the five degrees of separation, I think in Green Bay, it's like one and a half. You know, yeah. you realize it's like everybody knows everyone and you have to be very careful about what you say at any moment because they really do. But I think it, it serves us well, you know, this community up here has really, um, has really worked incredibly hard to make a name for itself. The history of the state of Wisconsin and the state of this, this part of the state is, is rich. And I, I think that we're on the precipice of like the next great thing. Um, I think that like Green Bay can really be a model city um, for not just the state, but the nation. I think that as a state, you know, we, you know, it's important to remember this, you know, we have the, you know, the fallets. I mean, our history is grounded in progressive politics. If we can remember who we are and tap into that muscle, I think it reminds us that like we can imagine and do things that we can't even, we can't even conceptualize right, right now, but it's possible. So what does the ideal Green Bay look like to you? The ideal Green Bay for me looks like a place where everyone has a, a home to live in and, you know, a job that they can go to every day that covers their rent and their food, where they can go to the doctor without being afraid um, of how much it's going to cost or if they're going to have to sacrifice their groceries for that day. 
um, a community that, you know, can walk outside their door and take public transportation or walk or bike safely to work and have access to, to playgrounds and parks and good schools. It's a town in which people rely on each other and trust one another to do the right thing, but a town that also knows that we have to have really hard conversations because our world is changing. And that doesn't mean that we all just have to pat each other on the back all the time, but that hard work means that we're going to have to really push on each other. Um, and I think, you know, we, we're, we're, we have that now, but um, I am concerned about some of the, you know, levels of segregation here um, in our black and brown and our immigrant communities. They're sort of tucked away. There's a, a lack of connectedness. And I think that connectedness in those relationships will really help to push us forward. Yeah, I also think there's a lot of polarized viewpoints right now. So I think it's really good that you're having discourse with people, with Republicans, because I feel like just having conversations between the two political parties would improve just the polarization so much. I think that's very powerful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know, and look, not all Democrats are equal, right? I mean, with I, I ran against a member of my own party um, for, the, for the primary, and there were members of my own party who were quite angry at me for doing that, right? And so, um, you know, when you live your politics, it's, you remember that it's not about you, and it's not supposed to be about you. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because, like, my name's on the ballot, and uh, I'm supposed to talk about myself all the time because that's what you're supposed to do, right? But my communications director is always like, you never talk, because I don't really like, because it's never about me. It's always about the movement and getting people involved. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you know, there, there does need to be a person who pushes this forward. And I don't know, I guess it's me right now. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very powerful. I think, I think you have a good mindset in that you, you're so perceptive to different personalities and different, community members who might be marginalized and you want to fight for them, which is very good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so um, let's talk about the past few months because I feel like everything's kind of exploded after COVID. So how yeah. have the events impacted your, your mission and your campaign? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy to even think about what life was like before March, because um, it seems so far away, you know. Um, I don't know if anybody else does this, but I'm, when I'm watching TV shows and they're like hugging or like shaking hands, I'm like, oh, ooh, oh, wait, no, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, I so, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I'm worried, you know, I, get, I definitely get worried about how this will sort of impact our long-term social connectedness and our, you know, interactions. Um, when everything happened in March, you know, I think our campaign team really rapidly responded very well to um, doing things differently. And I say that because when I started this campaign in February, I said to my team, I remember I pulled them into the, the dining room table and I'm like sort of doing the, you know, like coach at, you know, this is what we're going to do. And I said to them, you know, listen, like we have an opportunity to throw the traditional campaign playbook into the fire right? Like, let's light it. I mean, let's light it up and do something. Let's try things, right? Like, in most of my campaign stuff, so my, my campaign manager is a senior at UWGB. Um, he's the president of student government out there. So, you know, I had students at UWGB, you know, local younger organizers. Most, I was the oldest person on my staff, by the way, like, and I'm, I'm 40, right? So most of my, my, my staff was younger than me or everybody was. And so I think what we did is we were like, okay, so we can't doctors. Like, what are we going to do? Like, how else, how do people communicate? Okay. They communicate on social media. They can communicate on digital. Um, I had been really comfortable getting on Facebook live. So I would jump on after the black lives matter rally in June, um, largest demonstration in the history of green Bay. I got on to yeah. Facebook and I did a 10 minute unscripted response reflection I mean, I cried. I literally, I was, my eyes, you know, I was like, you know, and I think it was viewed, I don't know, 800 times, um, you know, so I, we've really, we've really tried to be authentic 
Um, we have a, a Spotify playlist. I'll share it with you if you're interested. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, um, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, we have a Spotify playlist. We we had a we had T-shirts made that we were selling um, that said "Power to the People with a Fist." Um, my cousin is a feminist artist in Temple. She's twenty twenty. She's biracial. She's amazing. She did an original piece of feminist art for us. Actually, um, Bob Pine bought bought one of the pieces, which was really cool. And it was a, a silhouette of a woman um, with all, basically all of the terrible words that women are called in leadership, right? You know, as ways to sort of keep us in our lane. And I called my cousin and I said, I have this idea. I wrote down every terrible word that I've ever been called. It's like 50 things. And I said, and I, I want to do this image of somebody standing in the face of this, this negativity, right? Like what women face every day. So she had the silhouette and all the words are behind. And I, you know, we, we sold, I think we sold out in like three weeks or four weeks of this art. So we're coming up with a new one though. So I'll let you know, Kara, we're going to, we're going to yeah, be starting new crossover. So, you know, I mean, I think what, again, what we've tried to do is to say, a campaign is not about a single election. It is about, it's about what comes before and what comes after. And we want people to have fun. Like to your point about looking at the news, if every time you see me, you're like, oh my gosh, it's yeah. this is terrible, right? <laughs> yeah. Then, you know, there has to be joy in what we do. And we have to balance that with the work. And, you know, so things like the Spotify playlist, like I'm always adding songs to it. I was out on a run this morning and I posted on Facebook, like, here's my top pick for today, picture of myself running. And I think it shows people that I'm human, you know, and, and I'm out trying to do the best I can, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really fun. Yeah, that's great. I think that's so powerful. And I love that your team is younger than you. I think that's interesting because I'd never heard that before. And like, I never really thought of that, like as a, as something that could happen. But I think that's great that you're using younger people because we're so resourceful with social media. And that's something that will set you apart, especially now. And I think, I think that's great. I love Spotify. Yeah. So listen to that. And that's so powerful. And me too. I write it. And that's the thing. Like, it's so cool. Like you can make a, you can make a playlist and share it. And it's like a, a way into like, Oh, this is what Christina listens to. Um, which is hilarious though, by the way, my communications director also added songs that I don't really know what they are. And there's a very clear, so I, I'm a, I'm a nineties hip hop, like junkie. Cause yeah. I grew up in, I, that's when I was like in high school was in the nineties. So my, my picks are like, you know, um, I don't even know, like outcast and like Wu Tang, like some pretty hardcore stuff. And she was like, I don't think this is like feminist music. And I was like, yeah, but like it's good, right? <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah. I love that though because you're so you're in like the community can see you as a person and they can see you beyond just a political figure. And I think that's so important. And you're kind of taking each step and you take a project and you go further with it. And I think that'll get you so far in life, just kind of testing the waters of everything. So I think that's very yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I definitely am a water tester. Like, well, what do you think about this? Yeah. My, my, my dad says that I don't have a filter. He always, like when I was growing up, he'd say like, you don't have a filter. And I was talking to someone the other day and she said, you know, I think that's your superpower. Like, you know, in politics, everything is so polished yeah. that I, I, you know, I kind of am who I am. Like, you know, this is not that I'm not going to grow and reflect and try to improve, but um, I think, you know, I just want to be me because when you can be yourself, right, that's the best version of you. Yeah. I think that authenticity is so vital right now because people are looking for that. They're looking to cling to someone who, who can be truthful and they can trust. Yeah. Yeah. I did a, um, I did a Facebook video, um, with my, my campaign, my comms director, her daughter is seven months old and she, I was watching her for the day because she had to like go work. So I'm like, drop her off. So I had to do this campaign video. It was actually for the, the poster. I wanted to do like a Facebook live, you know, buy this poster. So I'm like holding Ellie, she's seven months and I'm like trying to get the thing up and I'm pulling and I, I couldn't even put two words together because I'm trying to juggle the baby and I'm trying to talk and I'm like holding the post. 
And it was like the worst Facebook live video ever. I swear, I couldn't even put two words together. Like at one point I was like, just buy the poster. And I just like, and I, and I thought like, should I delete, should I delete this? Is it unpolished? Anyways, I ended up talking to this woman like a couple of days later and she goes, I saw the video of you with the baby. And I said, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm sorry though. So she goes, no, she said, she goes, it, it was, she goes, it was beautiful. She's like, because you're a woman and you're taking, you're taking care of someone and you're also trying to like juggle yeah. doing this other thing. And like, guess what? It's hard. Yeah, definitely. What so. are some roadblocks you found while working in such a male dominated industry? Yeah. Oh, that's like a whole nother segment. Um, you know, I think a few things more broadly speaking than just it being male dominated, you know, to have access to, you know, I call it social capital, right? People, right? Who are the people? That was something I really lacked um, when I ran for my school board race. Um, I would have people ask me like, oh, have a fundraiser at someone's house that's, you know, wealthy. You know? <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, that's, that's a real thing, right? Like you, you got to court the people, get the people because you have to raise money, right? And, and not that that's necessarily a bad thing and not that being wealthy, you know, none of that is bad, right? But I, I bring that up because I didn't have access to those people because the people that, you know, generally were in my social circles were, you know, teachers, educators, nonprofit workers, healthcare, you know, sort of the, the not in that stratosphere of social connectedness. And I saw how difficult it was to be taken seriously to have access to the resources and the skills to the knowledge. Um, I, I really saw how difficult it would be if I was, you know, a member of our black community or if I, you know, English was my second language for me, or if I was undocumented or if I was a single mother, you know, I, I'm married. I have a wonderful partner who is very supportive of me. Um, and I, it was so difficult for me to just do what I was doing with all those supports. It shows why we have such a lack of broadly speaking diversity and leadership, right? And city council on the school board. We've only had one woman, one person of color ever on the school board ever. Right. And you know, um, it's, it's a busy job, but um, it doesn't pay a living wage, you know, for the hours we put in. And so who ends up getting, being able to do that job or people who have social and financial capital to be able to do it. So those have been some of the barriers that I've noticed that I really would like to knock down, um, you know, so that we can build a pipeline. Um, you know, I think the other thing with women and in, in politics is we have a lot of, we, we have more women locally, right, and on the school board and the state level than we do at the federal level, which is great. But I still think most women think that we have to sort of fit into the, the sort of patriarchal ideal of what leadership should look like, right? So like, you know, um, but I also can't be like, like as, you know, um, as strong of a leader as a man, right? I sort of have to be careful about what I say. I have to smile. I've been told to smile a lot. Oh, make sure you smile. Um, right. You know, don't look angry. Right. And which I thought was hilarious. Cause I'm like, I'm very smiley. Like I don't, if I smile more, it'll look weird. So I think those like ways that we communicate to women and girls, right. Um, to sort of say like, this is what it's supposed to look like for you to do this right? So figure it out. And when you get there, then you'll be acceptable. You'll be good enough to do it. And I just totally reject that. I think it's ridiculous. I think this like idea that you have to have these certain criteria to be worthy or to have the experience to do these types of leadership is, is ridiculous. Um, I wore high top vans on the day I kicked off my campaign at my press conference. Um, I was like, I'm not wearing heels. That's, like, yeah. that's not going to happen. You know, yeah. even in our dress, right? Um, we see Kamala Harris wearing sneakers, right? Which I thought was great. So, you know, again, I think we've just got to really call out these things and say like, what shoes I have on my feet, that doesn't matter, mm -hmm. right? Um, or, um, you know, this, you know, whatever it is, there, there are just ways that we sort of keep people in a lane and tell them it's not their time. Definitely.
Wow. Yeah, that's really powerful. I think, yeah, I didn't even think of that. Like the way you have to present yourself is so different from men and the way like you have to overanalyze the way you act like a leader. Like I never would have thought that's something that would have had to cross your mind. But. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've actually been in meetings, Kara, where I have prepared for a meeting, brought in a resource so I could be very clear. This is what I believe, you know, whatever it is. I handed it out. I said, this is where I stand. And everyone had a conversation about it. And a gentleman who was at the meeting with all of us, who was a good friend of mine, said, oh, yeah, I Christina, thank you for preparing this. He went through the document. He talked about, you know, what he agreed with. You know, he was giving me a compliment and we were talking about it. And then the rest of the table thanked him for being prepared for the meeting, right? And I sat there and I'm, what do you, you know, what am I, what are you supposed to do? Are you going to be like, no, sorry, you know, because then you seem, you know, you seem whiny and you don't. So I think it's the, and I, you know, what I did was I went up to him afterwards and I said, did you see what happened there? And he said, you know, he didn't even recognize it. And I said, the next time that happens, I expect you to, you know, to, to have my back, you know, to say something. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just those little, you know, some people call them microaggressions. Mm -hmm. I think it's just ways, again, that we sort of deny people their authenticity or the right to be there. Yeah, and I think a big part of your campaign is just being authentic and showing people who you are and being an actual part of the community, which is what the community needs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I want to let some of my coworkers have a chance to answer some questions. Um, okay, we got some questions. So, Ava? Oh, okay, they're being added. I don't know how this works. I've never done a webinar before. So they're being added to the chat and I think they're just gonna chime in. Um, yeah. Anyone have any questions? I have a fun question if you want to. Yeah. And, okay, so I ask everyone on my show this, and it doesn't really apply right here, but my question is, if you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you not go? Where would I not go? <sighs> I, oh, that, that's... That's well, then that makes me feel bad if like someone lives there. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, where would I not go? Oof. That is a good question. I don't know. Okay, this is gonna be probably a really lame answer, but this is this is the truth. I hate really hot weather like it just my my husband's from mississippi we would go to memphis and it'll be like 120 degrees i i just want to die like if i could go anywhere in the world but not go to this place it would be like in like you know texas in like july right <laughs> where it's like so hot you know and nothing not no offense to texas there are lovely people down there but like you know if I could go on other places, I would choose, but yeah, hot places. Like I'm trying to think other places are like the sub-Sahara in Africa, maybe like during the summer months. I don't know. That was just my fun question while we wait for someone, but <laughs> answer. What other people say with that, Kara? Like, have you gotten other good answers? Yeah. So I interviewed a Packers employee yesterday who's from Alabama and she said that she would not go to Antarctica or the cold and she's never lived anywhere but the south and I was like yeah. I'm going to Green Bay like do you know what you're getting yourself into and it's just funny everyone yeah. answers like I think my boyfriend has been on my show a couple times he said North Korea which is yeah that's that good answer Antarctica gone I've never gotten the hot though so that's a good yeah. one yeah <laughs> yeah so do you guys have any questions I've got a quick question. Um, so I'm just wondering like what motivates you in, I guess, the face of adversity going through different yeah. challenges, whether it's within your career or just within like life in general? Yeah. So um, that's such a good question. And I think that sort, sort of needs to be the heart um, and the central like core of why we do what we do, right? Like who else would do politics in the in the way that politics is where it is right now? Um, 
you know, I was reading uh, Dr. Bettina Love's book. I actually have it on my shelf. We want to do more than just survive. I would suggest it if anyone hasn't read that book yet. Um, and what she talks about in that book is something she calls freedom dreaming. Um, the ability to imagine and sort of demand the seemingly impossible, right? To, to, to demand and believe in the seemingly impossible. To me, um, I believe that we can do things that I can't even imagine right now. I believe that we can um, rise to the occasion to meet climate change head on. I believe that we can create a system where students aren't coming out of college um, with ballooning student loan debt to the point where you all have to put off, you know, the American dream, right? The ability to buy a car and to have freedom in your employment, to be able to take jobs, not just because it's going to be able to allow you to pay back your student loans. I, I believe we can have healthcare for all where people can go to the doctor and receive the services that they need and not be afraid of you know the cost forcing them to you know um, go into foreclosure on their home you know we live in the the wealthiest country and when we look at the growing inequities of the wealthiest and and the working class it shows you that we're on the wrong trajectory right i mean i was looking the other day i was saying this statistic earlier to someone ceos are right now making i think it was 320 times more than the average worker Right. Think about that for a second. 320 times that of the average worker. I believe that that's un-American and I believe we can create a more equitable system. Um, it's just we have to we have to believe that things can get better. And that sense I was talking about earlier of hopelessness, I, I worry that that's a disease that will sort of be so pervasive that it will sort of diminish the ability for us to believe we can do hard things. But I, I really do believe we can. So Bethany has a question. Who are your historical influences in politics or in general? Oh, I love this. So my husband is a historian. So he's my historical reference. So he's always like, you know, pointing me to books and so forth. Um, right now, I've been doing a lot of reading and, and research on FDR because I'm I, I really love and I'm intrigued by the the New Deal and how we were able to invest in our country to sort of pull us out of that crisis. So, you know, I, I, I also love, I just read the book, um, The Warmth of Other Suns about the Southern Migration North, which is a fantastic book. If anyone hasn't read that, it's about um, how did, um, you know, uh, black Americans, enslaved uh, blacks who were freed, how did they sort of migrate around the country? And you can actually trace the lineage of different, you know, communities to specific places in California and Milwaukee and, and so forth. So I, I love sort of relearning my history. You know, um, I grew up in Pittsburgh and it was sort of a very, well, it wasn't sort of, it was a very whitewashed colonial inspired history. Um, and so to me, it's exciting to, to, to read The Warmth of Other Suns and be like, why am I just learning about this now? Like, this is so cool and exciting to hear about this part of our history. And it helps me to make sense of the world now, right? I mean, our history is alive and well in where we are now. And I think when we can look back in our history and say, wow, we did that or that happened, it sort of helps to contextualize, okay, like how did we get over here, right? How can I understand your perspective if I understand the historical context? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't do a lot of like reading and I don't read fiction. It's just right now, I'm just trying to like read anything I can to understand the world. That's great. So yes, yeah, super cool. That, yeah, I would, I would, I would encourage you to read um, the warmth of other suns. It's a fantastic book. I think that's so important in just connecting with other people and maybe not walking in their shoes, but learning like this is your history. This is kind of like a little bit into your culture that I probably wouldn't know already. I think that's so important, especially now. Yeah. Right. So Hattie had a question. It was, what was your family's response to you getting involved in politics since it wasn't really a topic of conversation growing up? Yeah. So my mom and my dad think I've, I'm insane and that I've lost my mind. They have no idea what's happening. They, I'm constantly like filling them in and they're like, what does that mean? And like, what, what about this and whatever? And so they are just, they think it's hilarious. Um, you know, my dad is a man of few words and, um, he told me like, when was it? Was it right after the primary, how proud he was of me? 
and I called my brother and I was like, all it takes is, you know, being an incumbent and running for a state assembly seat and dad will tell you like how proud he is of you. So it, it's been really fun. Like they are getting more involved in politics, um, local politics. My parents voted for school board for the first time, like in my hometown. My brother in Pittsburgh is really involved in environmental justice and is getting involved. So I think it's been really cool to see all of us sort of grow um, and to try new language. My, like my dad used the word white privilege and a conversation like in a sentence like a couple months ago and I was like look at you dad like doing the work doing, <laughs> doing the work yeah so it's been it's been really fun and you know I, I would say like shout out to my husband like and my kids because um when you run for office like it is it totally disrupts your life it's a family decision um when I told my husband I was gonna run I like for the assembly seat I like walked in the kitchen and he like looked at me and he was like so you're gonna do it right and I was like mm-hmm you know was like, <laughs> okay um and, and and like you know and my kids are involved like they're they know a lot about what's happening and you know like making phone calls and stuff so it's been fun but yeah my parents think I'm a total like total lunatic my dad was like and how much are you getting paid and I was like we shouldn't talk about that like it's not much. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think if anything that comes out of, especially now, I think there is a discourse happening between especially kids my age and their parents. And I think that's mm -hmm. so important. And I like, even with my parents, we've had conversations that I never expected we've had yeah. about like Black Lives Matter. And most, mostly people don't talk about things because they're curious and don't want to sound like they don't know anything. Right. Yeah, and I'll say too, like my family, for as much as we didn't talk about politics, um, we do now. And like it, it, it's not all like roses and butterflies. Like there have been times like I've sat with my, you know, and it's very heated. But I, but here's here's the here's the trick, right? You have to keep showing up. Like no one gets to tap out, right? So like you get mad, it gets heated. Okay, you go to bed. The next day you show up and you do it again, right? And you also have to forgive people. You have to forgive them for the things that they say because we're all processing all this stuff, right? We're all gonna say whack stuff that the next day you're like, whoa, I didn't, I actually do not think that. Because we're trying to process it. And you know, I think like we have to forgive ourselves, we have to forgive others, we have to create space for people to make mistakes, you know, like because that push and pull of the work is where the growth happens. If we, wow. if we push anyone out, you know, and I, and I think this is difficult with a lot of the cancel culture right now. If you say this, then that's the end of you. Well, where does that leave that person? How do, how, it's not about calling people out. It's about bringing them in, showing them love and showing them care and saying like, I care enough to keep working on this with you. Yeah. That's so great. Your level of empathy is something I've never seen before. Like you care about everyone just learning and you care about what they think, but you also like just care about their well-being. And I think that's so powerful. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Kara. I mean, I just, I'm a very empathetic person and I, you know, I just, um, I like connecting with people and yeah, it's just, it's That'll the best part of the job. Yeah. Would you say? That'll take you places though. I feel like that'll, yeah. I don't know, that'll propel you. It'll take me to my therapist's office. Maybe there. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Does anyone else have any questions? I know I'm kind of throwing you guys on the spot. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have another question though. Um, how do you recommend, or what's your biggest advice for college kids right now regarding political activism? Yeah, I am so glad you asked this question because I was like, I wonder if she's going to ask this. Um, one is, I think, is, you know, look around who you who you know. Um, you're, you guys are involved. Talk to your professors. Talk to the, your leaders. Talk to other people that and just and just start to test something out. And I think I would recommend that you don't get too boxed in into like, like where you think you want to go. When you're younger, and I think even as I've gotten older, I have tried a thousand things that didn't really work out sort of in the direction that I thought it was going to go, but it helped to lead me, right? Or it served its purpose. And, and so it's what I would recommend to students is 
try a lot of different things out. Meet as many people as you can. Um, put your phone down. Like that's also. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very important. <laughs> I have a 12 year old. I mean, everybody loves their phone, but I think we have to get out of that space. And I know it's hard with COVID, but develop those relationships and don't be afraid to fail. You know, you're, we're, we, we live in this world where we think we have to be perfect. Um, and, you know, it's not about being imperfect. It's about getting back up and doing it again. You know, I had a, um, this is a funny story. In February, right after I announced, I went to a, a meeting. I had to give a very short talk about kicking off my campaign, right? Like should have been super easy. I got up in front of 40 people and had a full-on anxiety attack. Like no words, tunnel vision. I didn't know what was happening. I was like standing up there and I was like panicking because all these people are staring at me and I was up there and I'm like oh my god oh my god and then it's you know snowballing well I got off the podium and I was like I took my sweater off and I said to the gentleman that was hosting the meeting I was like can I get back up there like I can't like let these people like I can't let that be the last of it and I got up and it wasn't great I mean it still wasn't awesome but I made a joke and I said like sorry you know life is hard yeah. Also, these are the things I care about. And, um, you know, I, I actually shared that story with a bunch of eighth graders. I was in doing a presentation at one of the local schools and I shared that story with them. And like, they sent me a bunch of thank you cards afterwards. And like 10 out of the 30 specifically mentioned that and said like, uh, thanks for just normalizing that this is hard. Yeah. You know? And so like, look, if I can get up in front of 40 people and have a panic attack, like you guys will be fine. So yeah. you just got to keep at it. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> That's a great it, was, it was terrible. Like it was, <laughs> terrible. I, I, I got in the car afterwards and I like said to my friend and she was like, yeah, it's as bad as you thought it was. And I was like, great. Like, okay. thanks for that. <laughs> it shows that you're an advocate for mental health. <laughs> Good. Which I actually wanted to touch on because I love that that's a big part of your campaign. I think that's so important nowadays. It is. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's pervade. I mean, we all, we all have to be talking about it. Yeah, definitely. And um, I, I talk a lot about, you know, mental health services. I, I need to actually schedule my next appointment with my therapist. Like now I'll make a note for myself. I think that those are things that we have to normalize. Like yeah. there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's good for me to not put it on my husband, you know, to vent to him, yeah. you know, I mean, that's yeah. the thing, right. And I think like we yeah. have to invest in ourselves. And if that means, you know, looking at, you know, antidepressants or, and some people need to do that to, to, to be okay. Yeah. Um, but I think like, you know, taking care of ourselves, exercising, eating well, having friends, again, putting our phones down. Um, we have to just make sure that we prioritize ourselves because this is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And I know for me, whenever I'm like, go, 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 it catches up to me and my body is like, you're done, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I, we've got to normalize it. I mean, and this is really, these are hard times for people. Like, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. How, it's crazy. I, mean, I can't imagine what college students are dealing with right now. I mean, like you got, this is like the most social time of your lives. I'm sorry that this is happening to you. <laughs> I'm dreaming in Zoom calls now. I literally have Zoom dreams. It's wild. Do you? <laughs> yeah. But I feel like it is bringing up important conversations about mental health and just checking in. Mm -hmm. And I've seen colleges, like if you can't miss, like you can miss class and go to Zoom meetings and that's yeah. something that's never happened. So I feel like it's changing the way, like everything is being run. And I think it's going to make things better because of this hardship. Mm -hmm. Things are going to get more efficient and more evolved and become better. So I'm, yeah. I'm kind of grateful. I mean, everyone's had hardship during these times. I was in Spain when this happened. So I got sent home, wow. which has been crazy, but I, I don't know. I've kind of accepted it, but yeah. I, I feel like we're all growing together, which is really powerful. Yeah, it is. It's kind of funny, right? Cause like when you're on zoom calls, it's like my cat walks behind me. Yeah. You know? um, or like I was on a call with governor Evers on Friday and like my nine-year-old came in and was like melting down about a math like homework question. And I was like, sorry, Governor Evers. And I was like, Keith, mommy's on the phone with the governor of the state of Wisconsin. Like, I can't help you right now. And it's like, 
that humanizes that life is complicated. Like the, these, like yeah. these, like lines of barriers of now I'm doing this are gone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I definitely agree. So I don't know. I'm hoping things get back to normal soon, but I'm grateful for the good changes we've seen. So yeah, yeah. You know, and I think too, it like it it to to go back to like the kindness and the forgiveness piece. You know, I I it's been hard. Watch people are angry. You know, they're angry because they wow. want to get back. And I, I just think we have to remember that we all want everything to go back to the way it was. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we need to treat each other with kindness and love as much as we can. Like I see people a lot criticizing college students for like going out yeah. and I'm like, look, I understand that that is frustrating, but like they're 20 years old, you yeah. know? Yeah. It is frustrating. Though. It is. I mean, but also y'all shouldn't be partying, but I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I love that level of empathy because I didn't even have that level of empathy as a college student. I'm like, screw you guys. I want to go to school. Like, I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, I guess I thought like when I was 20, would I have listened to like 40 year olds telling me about the party? Like, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that like, these are unprecedented times and we can't, we can't shame people, I think, as yeah. much as we do for the decisions they make because it's not so clear. No, there's so much gray area and everything. Right right now it's so difficult like nothing's black and white and it's right. so hard to just kind of have that empathy i feel especially like because I'm sure you've made decisions where like afterwards you're like oh i shouldn't have done that yeah everyone right does. yeah <laughs> and then you think like i hope i'm not on facebook for that see yeah definitely even yeah. with covid like if i my grandparents live in green bay if i even like drive past their house i'm like oh my god like i can't be doing this like it's scary yeah things it's Definitely difficult times, but I think the community, especially in Green Bay, is kind of pulling together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so too, yeah. That's great. Do you guys have any questions? I don't wanna like throw you guys under the bus. I think you guys are good. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Christina, for being here. I feel like this conversation has been so wonderful and just great. Thank you so much. Aww. Thank yeah. you. Thanks so, so much for having me. And like, of course. Honestly, it, it, anytime, like if there's stuff happening and, and when you want to like jump on a talk, I love this kind of stuff. And if mm -hmm. any of you want to get involved in the campaign or there's other great candidates running in the 88th and in the fourth and, um, and, you know, Senate seats, like if anyone is interested in getting involved, connect with me. Um, like no matter where you are in the political spectrum, everyone needs to find a way to get involved for November, whether it's a local candidate or the presidential race, but we've got to expand um, young people to vote. Like y'all need to get out and vote. Like, please do it. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's great that you said that from all political spectrums because you see both sides. And I think that's something that's very difficult for people right now. So mm -hmm. your level of empathy just floors me. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, how did she see that side? Like, what? I'll lay under my weighted blanket later, Kara, so that <laughs> Mine has teepees on it, which is kind of cultural appropriation, but it's okay, because I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, that's, that's awesome. Self-care, yeah, no, I appreciate you, and thanks for everything that you do and for taking the time out of your day for this. Of course, thank you so much. Well, this has been great. All right, I'm going to stop.